Welcome to episode 12 of the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. Okay, uh, yeah, this week, uh, slowly growing my groups. We had five people along this week, uh, which I'm really, really pleased about. So if you are keen in some interval training and want to find out some more information, please head over to www.everydaylions.org and check that out. We also have beanies available as well which would be perfect for those cold nights and those are only $33 and you can purchase them also at www.everydaylines.org in my own personal life uh, I've changed my medication recently for my anxiety and that's that's always a bit not stressful but just uh, the side effects that you get from it uh, not great so uh yeah i'll just hang in there and 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 hopefully um these side effects will start to settle a little bit uh i've also signed up for dry delight which is for cancer research uh with a goal of a thousand dollars i've already raised six hundred and fifty dollars and if i reach fifteen hundred dollars um yeah i'm gonna shave my beard off and put it on facebook live and uh, thank you so much to those, those people who have donated already. And if you'd like to donate, uh, just search Brian Lyons and you'll see my mug with a big beard. Went to a uh, 40th at the weekend and this is actually the first party that I've been around alcohol, I guess you could say, since, since giving out the booze um, nearly nine months ago. Uh, yeah, it was just it was just really good to be able to go along and, and not drink. Uh, oh yeah, I was feeling a bit anxious about the whole thing, and to be able to do that, it's just another step in my recovery, I suppose you could say. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I'm just I'm just really happy that I was able to do that personally. Uh, run four out is back on tonight, so this is Wednesday. I'm recording this today, uh, so if you listen or get to listen to this and you're thinking about uh running please turn up a fantastic group i had beck earlier on these podcasts and i'm sure that she would love to see your smiling face there okay so to this week's guest this week's guest is viv woodward viv is a devonport running legend uh viv has won numerous uh, Australian professional running titles. He has an amazing range for 49 seconds, 400 metres, up to a 216 marathon. He is part of the Stall Hall of Fame. We cover his training, what he's up to these days, and some of these amazing running achievements. I am so grateful for his time, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please reach out to Viv. I know that Viv would enjoy that very much. And yeah, this has been the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. Until next time, happy running. guest is Viv Woodward. I have been really looking forward to this podcast. Uh, Viv's a Devonport running legend. Uh, he's a member of the Hall of Fame at Stall 
And yeah, I just can't wait to hear his story. Are you there, Viv? Yes, I'm here, Brian. How's your day been? Oh, uh, yeah, not too bad. Uh, had a bit of a job this morning for about 10K, so feeling right. uh, good. And that's something that you still do today? You, you get out most days? Uh, probably do four or five days a week, you know, up, up to 10 or 11K each right. time. So, yeah, just yeah. enough to keep fit. That's fantastic. You still got that passion as well. Oh, yeah, no, I, I enjoy it. It's part of life. Yeah, great. And did you tell, did you want to tell the listeners what you do for a job as well when you're not running? Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm currently retired. I've been retired for about 14 months. But um, I was uh, a manager at a company in Devonport called Delta Hydraulics. They're um, Australia's biggest manufacturer of hydraulic components. Um, manufacture all Caterpillar components and cylinders all over, over the world. And uh, they also did all the components for the six submarines that were, were built in South Australia. So they do a lot wow. of defense work. They also um, raised Kathy Freeman at the 2000 Olympics in that cauldron. They did all wow. the hydraulics for that. So they've got in people to work there. So I worked for them for around 39 years. So a pretty good company to work for. Yeah, great. And were you the manager at this? Um, my title was Human Resources and Production Minister slash General Manager. So I yeah. was involved with looking after all the people and all production. So awesome. pretty good. Yep. Sounds great. And were you doing this work as you were running? Like, did, your, did you come here when you were only 16, 17? Uh, no, I, I started off at... Um, a place in Devonport called Finlayson Brothers. It was a, an engineering company. I started there as an apprentice when I was about 16, uh, but left probably after about a year after I finished my apprenticeship to go to Delta. Great, great. And I, we better get to actually how you got into the running. Did you want to tell me a little bit about that as well? Yes, um, well, up until I was about 13, I lived in Launceston. Um, I sort of moved all over the state because I was a ward of the state. My parents split up when I was about 10. So I then moved to Devonport with a foster family, went to Reese High School in, in third and fourth year high school. Um, and when I went to Reese, I started doing a bit of running, um, training with you know, some of the local amateurs and uh, found that I was reasonably good at, at especially the distance. Ended up winning uh, into high cross countries and uh, 800 and 1500 metres at into high schools. So I decided I'd, I'd go and join the Devon Amateur Club. And I was training with an old guy there by the name of Irby Smith. He used to look after all the, all the um, amateurs. But probably when I turned, turned about 16, um, there was only a very small handful of amateurs still running in my age group. So I had a, a couple of mates who were running professional and they talked me into actually joining the professional cross-country club when I was about 17. So wow. it sort of started from there. Yeah, great. I, well, I'm a Reese High School student as well and I personally knew of you and growing up, I always wanted my name on the honour board. So... I always knew of you and I knew 
the legend of your name and stuff. So for me to get my name just under yours was really special for me personally. And uh, yeah, but it actually didn't happen for me because the school burnt down. I don't think they've ever replaced them since. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh great. And how did the running progress from there? So you joined the Peachable CT club. Uh, yep. Did you did you go straight into carnivals and that sort of thing? Uh, we were very fortunate back in the days when I first started running. It was about 1972, so quite a while back. Um, and it was in the heyday of all the really good carnivals. And like, we, we used to have running carnivals for the track. They started in early October and went right through to Easter. And every, every week there was a carnival. So when I was 17, I started running at the carnivals um, and also sort of one season melded into the other. So you could run track right up to Easter and you probably had one or two cross-country races in between that. Um, I was very fortunate that some of the people I trained with were the, in Devonport, like Trevor Keating, Ian Keating, Lee Taylor, um, um, numerous people that I used to train with were all members of the Cross Country Club. So we, we used to have a, a pretty good training group of some dozen people. Yeah. And it was great to go out and run for uh, on the, of an evening or um, the weekends when you used to do your long runs of you know, maybe 40k. Yeah. Um, we used to, go, used to go and run the Ironman course, it's called, which is a 25 kilometre course around um, Fourth area. Uh, I think I've run that something like 140 times over the years in training. Yeah. So it's a course, especially for health and uh, hill running and strength building. Yeah, I, I personally like that course too. I'll, I'll probably be up to 100 times, I reckon, myself. There's, there's something special yeah. there, isn't there? It is. Yeah, great. And did you want to tell the listeners actually how what your personal bests are so they have an idea how quick you are? Yeah, um, I've run about well, 50 seconds for 400, uh, 149.8 per eight, uh, 3.45 for 1,500. Uh, that's on the track and on the road, 5,013.59. Um, 10K around 12.06, half marathon, 64.02, and a marathon, 2.15, and 3,000 metres, about 8.06. So wow, a better range of distances. I was going to say, so for anyone looking in, I didn't, I didn't know that you ran a four hundred meters that quick. Like I knew that you had a bit of pace and a bit of toe. Uh, were you, were you always naturally speedy, or was that something you really had to work on? Um, I wasn't always quick, but what I used to do was I developed a, a lot of training to try and help me get a bit quicker. Like I used to do quite a bit of weight work. But I also used to do a lot of hill sprints up at Reese High School. Um, yeah. Like once or twice a week, I'd go up there and do 70 metre sprints up a fairly steep grassy incline and 400 metre runs up, up the boundary of Reese High School. And I found that was really good for developing speed. Um, yeah. Probably after about four or five years of running pro, I uh, went to another trainer called Reg Bates. And he was a masseur, and we used to go and have our massages there probably two or three times a week. But he had a bit of a training 
regime where he took out the back of his place and he had diver's boots and they weighed something like 24 pound each and you'd put these on and do knee lifts for up and down the back of his yard then take them off and do a bit of a sprint your knees had nearly come up and hit you in the face it was it was a yeah, it was so great. Almost tricking the mind, almost. Yep, yeah. pretty well, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And you talked about your training group, and I'm aware, well aware of a few of those runners, and we talk about training effect. Do you think that you would have been the runner you, you were without those guys around you? Uh, no, like, I think if I'd have just stayed in the amateur side of things, and you know, I probably would have given running up after... The age of 17 or 18, but because there were so many really good runners around the place, and and we sort of pushed each other as well. Like we would have had 10 to 15 runners that were capable of breaking 15 minutes for 5k on the road around those times. Like it really was um, the year of, of distance running in Tasmania, especially around the northwest coast. Yeah, and that's um. We're starting to grow a little bit of that culture now. I wish I was around that time because I, yeah, I just think how how jealous I am of that. And um, and do you still speak to some of these guys now? Are they are they some of your close mates still? Uh yeah, look, um, Lee Taylor. I've known Lee for close on fifty years, and yes. you know, we we meet up fairly regularly because he lives sort of just down the road from me, and you know, we'll, we'll meet up and we're around on the walk or something. You know, he'll come around to my place and. And like his children and my children grew up virtually together um, because they're about the same age. And I yep. was best man at the wedding, so you know, yeah, we get up as well. So wow. and, and because his son Brad runs as well, I'm sure he runs with you. Yes, um, uh, we uh, sit down and have a bit of a matter and how Brad's going. And every now and then we'll go back in the past and you know, you know compare what some of the people run nowadays compared to what. We did, yeah. We reminisce over the old days, which which is good. And sometimes, you know, we'll meet up with guys who were around with thirty or forty years ago, um, even though you don't see them that often. You know, they're, they're sort of there. And when you meet up, it's it's good to have a bit of an about things. Like Mike Gunson does a lot of work with young amateurs and, and young runners. Um, he was a member of um, our Otway team one year when we won. So, you know, yeah. I've had better to do with Mick as well. And he's, yeah. you know, he's spent a lot of time training young runners, which is, is fantastic. Yeah, and that's, oh, oh, well, Mick was my coach growing up and, and, and I learned a lot of stuff from Mick and, and I'm so grateful that I had that, that person to, I don't know, point me in the right direction and a lot of runners probably don't have that. So that's, yeah, and you, and you touched on some of your coaches. Did you have a few coaches throughout your running career or? Uh, not really, no. Like, I mean, I might have had three different coaches, but only for very short periods of time. Um, I found that, you know, I sort of knew my own body and, you know, I knew sort of when to train hard and when not to. Um, like, I listened to quite a few coaches that I had dealings with and, and sometimes I found that, if I had a coach and they wanted me to go and do, say, 10, 400 metre reps and I didn't quite feel like I was up to it that, that day, I found that, that it was sort of detrimental to, to how I was going. 
So I'd say the majority of my career, I sort of coached myself. Along with other runners, like I also coached a few runners as we were going through as well. Like um, one of the best amateur female runners, Andrea Waddle or Ripon, she's called now. And I coached her probably for four or five years, and she, you know, she seemed to develop a, a pretty good um, running career as well. Um, Greg Smith, who I think you've had, you might have even done a podcast on. Yes. Uh, yeah. We, we sort of uh, used to train a bit together and I assisted with him a little bit as far as his training goes. But yeah, generally, I would train on my own. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, along, along with others, of course, but you know, yeah. set my own agenda. Well, that's amazing that you had that insight. Um, well, I think as, as runners, I know personally, I struggled having off switch. Like if the coach said do a session, sometimes I would do it. And that's some really good insight to have that. And and I'm sure it, it saved your injury down the track as well a few times. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. And were you were you a bigger mileage guy or was this something that you progressively got bigger as you developed as a runner? Um, the very early stages, like when I was younger, um, I sort of slowly increased the mileage. But I would have averaged... You know, for quite a few years, 160, 180 kilometres a week, especially in the road season. Not so much in the track, but um, yeah, probably 160, 180. So a reasonable amount of uh, mileage, depending on what was coming up. Yeah, great. And and so when you said what was coming up, so you would increase it for marathon training? That's when... Yeah, marathons or you know, a couple of months prior or three months prior to the Outway Classic, then I would um, up the mileage. You know, we might go for a 50-kilometre run on, on a Sunday morning um, in, the, in, the, in the track season, and probably mid-season, mid-week when the, the track season was on, to try and boost that amount of um, miles under your belt. Yeah, and this was, uh, that, that's actually a really interesting point you touched on. So during a marathon prep, you'd actually go well over the distance. Was that something like a confidence builder as well? Did you do it for that reason? Uh, yes. Like if, uh, if you can run a bit further than the marathon, then you know, thinking about it, you should be able to make sure that you can do the marathon quite easily. But it didn't always work out like that, of course, depending yeah. on the day of the race. Yeah. <laughs> If you're one percent down, then you know, it can have a big uh, detrimental effect on the day as well. But most yeah. times, I, I sort of seem to arrange it so that it worked out reasonably well. Okay, great. And what sort of pace were these runs done at? Were they were they just get it done some days, or did you change the pace up? Depending who you had with you, like there are times when uh, you'd have people of you know, sort of very similar ability then you might put in some fairly hard runs, say for the first five, six kilometres and then take it a bit easier and then go hard up the hills. Um, or if, if you had some of the guys that weren't quite as speedy, then you would run a fair pace. Yeah. yeah. But generally, there'd be some pretty hard sections in that run. Did you, did you have one session that you'd laid in, like, a session that you do and you know, yeah, I'm cherry right. Did you ever have a session like that that you could, like a go-to session? Uh, yeah, sort of. 
I got, I had a, I, got, I still run the course up around the Don Heads and I think I've seen you and your group around there too. So there's some reasonable hills up there. Um, so I had about a 10k course around there. So if I could go around there and say 33, 35 minutes, then I know that I was, you know, pretty good and ready to go in, in yeah. a marathon. Yeah, in the race that I was setting myself for. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I just, I just think in Devonport personally, we're so lucky. We've got so many great areas to train, and 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 most of the time we've got it by ourselves too. Uh, was there? I mean, there's a running boom happening now because of parkrun, and I actually want to touch on that. Uh, what are your thoughts on parkrun now and seeing all these people out running again? It's more recreational runners, but. I reckon it's fantastic. Like uh, my wife has never been a um, a runner, but I think she's about to clock up a hundredth run. So right. you, know, you can see people of you know all abilities, and it doesn't matter how fast or slow you go. It's uh, it's up to you how how fast you go. I reckon it's a great concept. Like uh, since I've retired now, I can sort of go and run the park run of a Saturday morning, and then go and play golf. Uh, after, whereas before, you know, when I was working like 70 odd hours a week, and it was too difficult. Yeah. No, great concept. We went to New Zealand uh, in December and uh, we ran a park run over there because they're sort of worldwide, so it was great. Yeah, it's beautiful and it's, it seems to be streamlined as well. It's around about the same time, so it's over, it's done early, you can go to work or do whatever you want to do, play golf. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. A little bit more on the golf. Is this something that you've always done as well? Or? Um, no, probably the last 15 years I've been playing golf. And, you know, sort of always enjoyed a bit of golf. And uh, um, I've got my handicap down to about seven yeah. years ago. Um, it's sort of gone out a little bit since then. But now that I've got a bit more time, it's starting to come back again. That's a, quite a relaxing job, a relaxing sport. Uh, can be a bit frustrating, but uh, <laughs> it's it's good to have a bit something else besides running as well. Cool. And have you found there's been transferable skills from the running aligned with that? Because there's a lot of dedication that's involved with 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 running. I suppose golf is the same, isn't it? Well, it is. Like I think running teaches you to uh, when you're out running, you sort of get into a bit of a zone. And I know if I had a few issues at work or even personal issues, after a while you, you're sort of, you're running along and you tend to work out issues as you go because it sort of clears your mind and you can actually work out problems or, as I said, I've had a few issues with some of the guys at work. Um, it gave you a bit of an insight into how to fix the problems, which was good. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're alone with that one. I can. I can align with that very much. I know. I know. After a run, after five or ten minutes, you sort of get into a, don't know, mindfulness mode almost, don't you? And and what you were worried about seems to disappear anyway during during that time. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you're a you're a member of the Stall Athletic Hall of Fame. What really? I want to I want to go back to the first time that you competed at Stall. And what that meant to you the first time, and what you've actually achieved at Stall is. Um, well, when we were training, I was training with Jabba Keating, 
uh, Peter Radford and myself on the track. This was back in 1976. And we decided we would all go to school together and see what it was all about because we'd heard about heard a lot about school. So we went over there and it was a real eye-opener. The amount of people there and athletes and the calibre of athletes was unbelievable. So the following year, 1977, was the actual centenary of Stall. So we went over with the inside of doing well. I was running the 1500. Um, Peter Radford was running 800. And Trevor Keating was running the 3,200 metres. And we all won, which wow. was uh, pretty unbelievable. Really upset the Victorians a bit as well. Um, but you know, because we'd been there the year before, we knew what to expect. And I ran, because it's all handicap, um, I started off about 25 metres in the 1,500 metres. And supposedly it was supposed to be a non-penalty um, event. So we went back the next year. Uh, I was off scratch and the front markers had gone out about 30 metres. So I'd done about a 60-metre penalty in realistic terms. Um, the following year in 1979, I'd uh, set myself in the 33,200 and end up winning that and finishing a couple of placings in other races. Um, 1981, went back to store, which was the 100th running of store, and I won the um, 1,500 metres off scratch, which not too many off scratch. So it was, a, you know, it's probably one of the best races I've ever run, being that off scratch and people that were off 15, 20 metres in front of me were uh, ex-Olympians and Commonwealth Games runners, even though they weren't probably running at their maximum then, but you know, it was still an achievement to get up off scratch and beat those calibre of runners. Um, I still continued to go back to store for several years, but you know, uh, the ultimate, I suppose, was they put me in the Hall of Fame and probably about five or six years ago. Um, and I was the second Tasmanian to actually put in the Hall of Fame. And ironically, the only other person that's from Tasmanian Hall of Fame is Pat um, McMahon, who also lives in Denver, but, uh, wow. from uh, Tassie. So, yeah. no, it was, it was a great event. Like, it's unbelievable. I'm not sure whether you've been there or not, but... Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a very small ground and, and people are almost touching you as you're running around the ground. It's fantastic. Yeah, oh, there's something special about it. I've been there, been there twice. I was second in the two mile myself, and there's, just, there's, there's something amazing about it. You just enter it, you see the gates, it's just the small little ground, like it's all hugged in, isn't it? Yep, yeah, no, it's been close. Yeah. Really great. Unreal. And uh, so, did they have like an award ceremony for that? I think it's on the Friday night or the Thursday night when you had the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, they actually had here in Devonport because um, the people there couldn't come over here. So we had a, a meeting of the, I think the TAL, the Tasmanian Athletic League, had a, a function and uh, you know, was presented, which, which was a hell of a surprise. But, yeah. That's uh, one of the things that I'll cherish. Well deserved as well. I mean, just going through those performances and um, it sounds like that 1500 metre was an absolute cracker for you. 
It was, uh, it was about 30 or 40 metres to go. It didn't look like I was going to win. Yeah. Uh, all that training, hill running and that, and sort of the last 50 metres I just flew and went past uh, a couple of guys, as I said, Bob Hendy was a Commonwealth Games steeplechaser and really good 1,500 metre run. I just picked him on the post. So. Wow. And do you, we talk about being a good trainer and then a good racer. Do you, were you, were you turned on by the racing? Like, was that something that you really, really cherished or, or, or sort of went for? You were a better racer than trainer? Uh, yeah, look, I, I really loved the racing side of it. And, because I had so many mates that we trained with and, and run with. Um, it was really good to get out there and, and actually race. And what I found was, especially in road racing, um, when you're racing against someone, you know it's hurting yourself. So you think to yourself, well, if it's hurting me, it must be hurting them. So if I go a little bit harder, push a little bit harder, then either they're going to break or I'm going to break. Yeah. Most found that. Uh, was able to put that much pressure on someone that it was them that broke, not me. So, yeah. yeah, great. No, yeah. Uh, I, I just wish I had a been able to watch you in your heyday, mate. I, uh, I've heard the legend, so it'd be nice to see you. Uh, and this was professional running, and then you had a choice between professionals and, and amateurs, and that was a choice you had to make very young, wasn't it? Yeah, well, like I was 17 when I joined the pros, but as I said, if, if I hadn't joined, joined the pros, then I wouldn't have been running after 17, 18 because there was just no one to run against here. Unless you went to Hobart, which was sort of the, the areas of my amateurs, then uh, you're wasting your time, really. Like you're only running against young kids, really. Like, yeah. So it was you know, no brainer to actually join the pros. And most people around here. Once they turn 15, 16, that's what they did. Yeah. Um, and when you look at, you know, we used to have 26 races a year, and I'm sure they still do, with a professional cross-country club, and everything from 5K to a marathon. So the first year I turned uh, pro and went with the PCCT, um, was the first marathon I ran at 17, which was a hell of a shock, because I didn't do the training, but ended up being yeah, and the feature race that they have every year at the uh, PCCT. Yeah. And uh, we used to have quite a few mainland runners come over for that. Um, and I know we used to have three or four championship races a year in 5, 15 and 10K uh, along the coast here and Australian championships over 5K. Um, that we used to have Victorians of New South Wales, uh, South Australia used to come over. So we used to have a lot of really good events. And as I said, you know, we would have had 10 people here that would break 15 minutes before I'd go. So it was a really good depth of running along the coast. Yeah, great. And and one well, one race that really sticks out that I've, that I've heard about, and it was the four lap round Meercroft. Was that the actual Australian championships at the time? Yeah. 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 Did you did you want to unpack that a little bit for me and tell me the times that you've run around that that particular course and and how those races unfolded for you? Uh, yeah, look, um, we used to have a five thousand kilometer, a five thousand meter 
uh, Australian Championship around the Necroft Bar. It was four laps of a course. Um, I think the first time I won it was in about 1976. And I think I won it something like nine years in a row. Uh, until uh, Lee Taylor ended up beating me one year, and, which I think we both ran a bit over 14 minutes, uh, about 14.05. Um, a couple of years before that, uh, I had a really interesting race with a guy named Frank Shevlin from Victoria. And I ended up running 3.59 and he ran about uh, 14 minutes dead. So there was you know, one second or even less between us, but it was a great event. Um, and you know, we used to have probably 15 in each race in the Australian Championship. And uh, the likes of Lee Taylor, uh, uh, Trevor Keating, uh, Lee Patterson from Victoria, as I said, uh, Bob Henney, ex Commonwealth Games runner, uh, Tony Benson, who used yeah. to be a big uh, runner, um, Tony Fisher, so uh, all, all really good runners who used to come across. Yeah, fantastic event, and you know, after it, then what you have a few beers or whatever. So, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Which is great. Like yeah. you your virtue, you weren't enemies on the track when and out on the race, but um, you were keen competitors. But once the race was finished, then you're all mates again. Yep. No, that's great. And uh, what were the crowds like watching that? Was that were they as big as the coastal carnival crowds or? Oh, we used to get uh, you know quite a few people there because the cross country club had something like you know 120 odd members running each Sunday, so they have all those, you know, all their family. So, yeah, there used to be a fair crowd there. Yeah. And we we also, with the club here, they used to send, um, say, half a dozen of us over to Victoria or New South Wales to compete in, say, 10,000 metre championship or 15,000 metre championship, marathon championships uh, around Victoria or, or in Sydney. So, you know, we used to have a really good team of runners that used to go over and compete against those guys. Um, like we used to run in 10,000 metres around Flemington Racecourse. And we used to even have to go over the steeples with wow. the horses jump over, so all around Sandown Racetrack. Uh, it, was, it was an interesting time. Yeah, great. And I've, I've raced at both of those places just in the AV series before. Um, and it's really fast, isn't it? Quick, flat. Yep. Yeah. And you, you touched on the Peachable CT, and your name is littered throughout the book of fastest times, and, and you're a, a member, and still, I think you turn up for the occasional run now, don't you? Yeah, I'm a life member. I was granted by yeah.
the wind. But at least I've had a few placings in it. It is a great run. Yeah. And and what does that cross country club mean to you? Is is that is that a club that you just cherish and love? Oh, it is definitely like you know, I spent time with the club on the on the uh, on the committee for quite a few years. I also spent time as a handicapper for a couple of years with um, a couple of other guys as well. So, yeah, I found that the club, if it hadn't been for the club, then my running career would have been virtually non-existent. And I wouldn't have been running after probably 18 or 19. You know, they were, they were uh, a great bunch of people and like it was a family club and uh, great, great people to to actually go along and enjoy functions with. Um, and even now, like I meet quite a few people that are members or past members of the club, and it's good to sit down and have a bit of a natter about the old days and how the club's going now. And you know, it seems to be more, uh, there's a lot more women running the club now. When I joined, there would have only been maybe one or two. Now probably 30% of the club got a women, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's unreal, isn't it? Um, they've been struggling a little bit for numbers, and they've changed and they've kept they've kept the name, but they've changed the name. They've just kept the letters of of the name, which I think is a really good move. Um, yeah. People do get scared off by that professional name, but it's such a good club. Uh, awesome. I mean, I just I'm like you. I just love the club, and and I and I hope that they're here for another forty years. Yeah, oh, I hope so too. It's, and, uh, it's good for the community to have a club like that. Absolutely, yeah. And I've done a bit of study here, and I've got this is from the internet. I've got a bit of a, a printout of your marathon times. Yeah. Um, and the one that stands out for me is the nineteen eighty three two hours fifteen and fifty two seconds in Alliston. Um, I guess that's your PB. Is that? Uh, yeah, it's. I had run a quicker marathon, but yeah, the was down. The West Coast, uh, but that that particular time, you know, the course was a little suspect. I around about two hours eleven oh four, but um, I call the the one that you're talking about probably the fastest time. Um, yep. And also the Melbourne Marathon around two hours sixteen, I think. Um, in that one you're talking about, you know, being a handicap event, um, you're chasing, you're virtually running a time trial on your own. Uh, in that particular event, Lee Taylor ended up running about two hours 14.04 or something like that. So it was a pretty quick course. Yeah. Um, but um, as I say, Lee and I always had good competitive uh, running. And, yeah. Uh, he, he pushes me and, and vice versa, which was good. But yeah. I suppose one of my best marathons I ran was in about 1982. I went over the Melbourne Marathon. And they bought out a guy by the name of Bill Rogers. You know, he, he'd won four Boston marathons and four uh, New York marathons up to that time. I think the year before he'd won the Boston. And I ran with him for the first 34, 35 kilometres. And probably only in the last 3K where I sort of folded a bit and ended up running fourth in the 2A system, which was yeah, one of the best marathons I've got actually run. Yeah. Um, but it was great to be able to go and run with people like that. And yeah. really gradual on as well. 
Uh, I'd say that's probably my best marathon. Yeah. Was um, nineteen eighty-five. I went over to Adelaide, and I was sort of setting myself to run sub two fourteen. Uh, if I did, then um, I looked like I might have been able to represent Australia in one of the major marathons. Uh, but when we got there, had some sort of massive storm when we were running, and uh, ended up running about two twenty-one. It was a atrocious day. So. Yeah, well, it was okay, but yeah, that's the trouble with that event. Uh, if you have a day where it's a bit windy or you're not quite feeling 100%, then uh, it doesn't come out, so you, you can look five or six minutes just like that, as you know. Yeah, oh, the marathons are it's a different beast. I think I've had a different experience from every single one I've ran, but uh, you learn something new every time, don't you, as well? Oh, for sure. Yep. Yeah, um, and we talk about specific training. Uh, we was your marathon training specific. So did you do big long reps when you were training for it? Like, like for example, uh, four times five k. Is that the sort of training that you did, or uh, not so much? No, like I, I'd probably go out and do a bit of fartlek work, but it wasn't in five k reps. And I might do one mile reps, um, but I, I prefer to go out and do, say, a really solid 25 kilometre run, and then you know, maybe a 5k easy run, and then finish off with maybe 10k solid as well. Uh, that, that sort of training. Yeah, cool, cool. And you touched on the, the Ottawa Classic, I'm gonna get his name wrong, isn't it? Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, Ottawa Classic, yeah. Yeah, it was a great event. It started in 1980, and um, the first year um, the Otway Classic started, it was the brainchild of John Craven, who I think was um, had a fair bit to do with the carnivals up until recently, and also he uh, looks after a lot of the bike races in Tassie and um, the tour of Tassie and even over in the mainland. But it was Virtually a relay race, and you had teams of seven runners. Um, it started in Geelong, and the first morning you do a time trial, and it'd be over 5.2 kilometres, and you had to have four members of your team run that. And the first 10 runners across the, the line would get time, time bonuses for their team. Uh, the others, if you didn't think you'd make that top 10, they used to only just jog along because. Uh, you didn't want to go and bust yourself. And after that, there would be um, six runners run in a relay from somewhere between eight to 11 kilometres um, over some pretty tough terrain between Geelong and Apollo Bay. Wow. Uh, and then at lunchtime, um, you have a bit of a break. And then another six runners, some six runners, or six runners would actually go in a relay um, from there to the next stop that night. Wow. And then the next morning you would run another time trial, which was a Polo Bay, and it was up a, virtually up a mountain. You'd run one kilometre on the flat, then there was a one mile hill that went straight up. You would then run down and then finish with a one mile flat before once again 
you would then go on to a, a relay of six runners. Um, the first year that I ran, uh, Lee Taylor was in my team. And we, we ended up winning the race that year. Um, but to get Lee run, we had to go and ask permission or ask permission from his mum to let him run. Oh, wow. um, and the, the only reason he was allowed to run was to look after him. Yeah, <laughs> right. he, was, he, was, he, was, he was a baby. So, yeah. 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 And he had hair back those days as well. Yeah, I think well now and I think I think Fred's following his footsteps. But what was your uh what was your race take then? Because quite obviously you couldn't kill yourself from the first race. Was it sort of you you'd pick people to go hard? Um, every race we had we had to go hard. Yeah. Um, you virtually had, you raced nine times. Wow. And the worst part about it was on the last day, the time trial was a 442-metre race around the Belgrave on a bike track. So you'd have six hard races and you had to go and actually run a 400-metre time trial around, around the, the Belgrave, which your legs were just like jelly. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, it, it was a great event. and um, I used to see the runners from one to to 49 and I ran it seven years in a row and was seated number one every year that I ran. Wow. We ran against quite a few uh, ex-Olympians and, and top amateurs um, and after that, uh, that, after I finished, I started bringing out a few Kenyans and some of the other top runners around as well. But it was a great event and um, I'm in the Hall of Fame in that as well. So I was right. very proud of that. Yeah. Unreal. And what was the recovery like after that? Would you just take a week off to recover or would you get straight back into the running? Well, like with nine really tough races, um, I know coming back, we get on the plane, you nearly have to walk backwards down the stairs because it hurt that much. So it would take... Oh, no, it probably takes three or four weeks to actually get over. And you just have to take it very easy after that. Um, it took quite a while to get over it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, race for a while anyway. Yeah. And did you find the strength though, like seven, eight weeks? Like, was it similar to, do you know, when you race a marathon and, you know, the first six, seven weeks after, you're a bit dicey, but then the strength that you get out of that, did you find that as well in your training and racing? Uh, yeah, I also thrived on a fair bit of hard work. So, you know, I quite enjoyed and probably after the initial soreness went away of you know, one or two weeks. And yeah, you know, sort of, you did get a benefit out of it. You know, it was sort of like having really solid months of training only over that short three days. Did you ever do any racing overseas? Was that something that you did as well? Um, no, I never went overseas, mainly, I suppose, because you know, the time frame of actually doing it um, and being you know, a manager at work, I sort of couldn't just go and take off every now and then. I, um, plus, you know, I was quite happy with doing what I was doing. The amount of events that we had to pick from here, um, there was not really no need. I, I sort of wanted to run the Boston Marathon, but Never ever got around to doing it because yep. one thing. Yep. 
Yeah. Oh, I think, mate, you got a, you got a fantastic career. I mean, should be very, very proud of what of that anyway. Oh, I am. I, you know, I think I've achieved anything, uh, everything that I wanted to do. Um, yeah. I have no regrets about uh, turning professional or I have no regrets about not winning this race or not winning that race because you know, I've been so fortunate over many years to have won a lot of races. Um, had very few injuries and uh, you know, like, uh, I was named Australian Athlete of the Year seven years in a row um, in the 70s and mid 80s. So uh, I think I've achieved everything that I possibly could in that yeah. period. And that's the main thing. Like you're, you're not going to look back and have any regrets, and that's awesome. And and that and that's what you want when you finish, don't you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I still enjoy getting out and, and going for four runs a week or whatever it is, and having a bit of a jog at the park. Right? Yeah. Sixty-five. You can't expect too much of yourself. No. This is a question that I that I'm really interested to 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 know how how you felt when you found that you were slowing down as you got older did you deal with this well uh, no look I, I didn't struggle with it really at all um i continue to run like i i think the last marathon i ran i was still you know, in my late 40s so you know, and was able to run uh, 250 on so you know, i was quite happy about that I got, i'm a realistic person i know that you can't run forever and your speed isn't always going to be there so you know, realistically you you will slow down and um, i'm quite happy to do that i'm quite happy to go out and run in a fun run and know that you know, i'm going to be somewhere in the over 10k around you know mid 40s or something like that so, and i'm happy with that yeah great answer perfect yeah um and what do you think your best distance was? Or what distance do you think that you had more potential at? Um, on, the, on the track, I'd say my best distance would have been 1,500 metres. Uh, on the road, I'd say either 5,000 or 10,000 metres. Yep. And was, was it track racing like we see today? Because was Penguin even a track back then? Or did you guys... Race at Bernie Devonport Oval, I think. Was that what the track was? Uh, yeah, like the the actual Penguin track was built when I ran. I, I ran a couple of races there, but not that many. It was mainly for the amateurs. Uh, they did have a, when later in my career, I think I won a, a 1,600 metres there and an 800. Um, but very few times did I actually compete there. Yeah, okay. And... Just the local Christmas carnivals here, what was your track record competing in them like? In where, sorry? Uh, just, just like the local carnivals here, so Devonport, Bernie, and <laughs> did, did you manage to get a few wins there as well? Or? Uh, yeah, look, we had a, a one virtually most races, I think. We, a lot of 800 metres, um, quite a few 1600 metres, especially at Devonport. Like uh, I found the Devonport track probably suited me more than, than Bernie. Um, I won sixteen hundred metres in February and caught the thousands mile. I won that probably three years, I think, um, three times. And I think the fastest I ran was about four minutes off about twenty five metres or something like that. So 
you know, reasonable times on grass tracks. Yeah. A lot of races and as I said, we used to have carnivals from um, October right through to March. And you'd go to places like Bishop's Burn or Longford and Cressy and all those sort of places and up in Launceston, Exeter, um, all over the place, which was really good. A lot of country towns, um, but the competition was still pretty fierce. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, it was also good to run against um, some of the top amateurs in the state, uh, like the City to Casino Fun Run. I think I won that three times, and we used to have some pretty good you know, tussles with some of the top amateurs around the place there. Uh, quite enjoyed that. Yeah. And, and have, you, have you have you gone back to those big fun runs as well? Was was Bernie Ten about as well when you? Because that that came in eighties. Yeah, I ran the Bernie Ten several times, but normally it was after um, like a marathon. I could come back from Adelaide, and the very next week was Bernie Ten. Yeah. And quite a few times the marathons that I ran were close to the Bernie Ten. So. When I was running at the top, um, I very rarely competed at the Bernie 10, and probably only one or two times. And as I say, it was always after a pretty tough event. So not much success there, but I was, you know, I've, I've run it quite a few times recently. Um, as some of the people that I work with, I used to train to actually run in the Bernie 10. Yeah. We used to have a group of about eight people from work that wanted to run that. And you know, even now, there's a couple from work that I'll go and run with once or twice a week to try and give, keep them up as far as their fitness goes so they can actually go and run the Bernie 10. They won't be this year, but hopefully next year. Yeah, awesome. And that's really, that's really a rewarding thing as well, isn't it, when you watch someone and watch them improve and then they take five minutes off their 10K time. That's something you go, yeah, I was part of that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... It's very satisfying to uh, actually see people do that. Yeah, yeah. And you touched a little bit on about how you've coached some previous athletes, and you mentioned uh, the female athlete. I can't think of a name. She's quite successful. Group yeah. one. Yeah. There's a maiden name. It's uh, sorry, that's a married name. Andrea Waddle. Her name was. So quite the father had a lot to do with the carnivals as well. But she, um, she was. One of the state top females in the eighties, um, and, and was really good over the, the miles, two miles, five and ten k's as well. Used to win. Uh, I think she won the city to casino two or three times as well uh, when I was training her. And, uh, she she had a lot of guts about her as well. Yeah, right. No, that's, a, that's fantastic because I've heard her name come up a few times now in a few other podcasts and I was talking to Mick Gunson about, about her at the time as well. So that's, yeah, that's, that's great that you, that you had an influence in her running career. Yeah, no, no. It's, uh, as I say, it's very satisfying to, to see other people actually succeed because you, know, you put the time in to give them a hand as well. Yeah. Yes, so you've, you've had a long running career, you've been around a long time. What is a piece of advice that you would give a newbie runner or someone who's been running for a long time? Uh, probably for someone that started out, I'd, I'd virtually say you know, set realistic goals and don't go out there and try and conquer the world straight away. 
and gradually build up your mileage and set realistic goals when you achieve, achieve those and look at something that's going to be a little bit harder and uh, go for that. Um, enjoy it. it. It is a sport. It's, uh, it's not your livelihood. So enjoy it. You know? Enjoy the company of other people and uh, don't take yourself too seriously. Great. Great answers. Uh, closing out today, what are some values that you've lived by in your life uh, during your running career and just family, work, anything really? Uh, yeah, look, I've always maintained that you should treat people the way you like to be treated yourself. So whether that's in your private life or, or in running, so yeah. it's uh, not going to win at all costs. It's uh, being a good sport and uh, enjoying yourself at what you do. Uh, put things into perspective. Like uh, running is only a sport, so uh, things like family come first. Um, so you should maintain that. And, and if you do, then I think you'll uh, you'll be a happier person for it. Great answers, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Viv Woodward, and this is the Everyday Lions podcast. Thank you so much, Viv. Thanks, Brian. Enjoy. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Viv Woodward and I think that you would agree that that was a really great conversation. Uh, Viv's such an intelligent person and I think that really came across in this conversation. I didn't know that he was self-coached and I found that really, really interesting. I wish Viv all the luck with his retirement and trying to get that golf handicap down. If you did enjoy the podcast, reach out to Viv. I know that Viv would enjoy that greatly. And if you're looking for some training, please consider Everyday Lions. If you want some more information, check that out at www.everydaylions.org. And please leave us a ratings on iTunes because we'll go up in our little subject of sport. Until next time, this has been the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons, and happy running.